think about chapter four? I liked it as I was reading it again for like the 12th time. <laughs> it's um, it sparked a lot more thoughts in my head, especially speaking with uh, people who were reading it for the first time, people who hadn't even heard of it. Um, you, you start to have all these kind of thoughts about how we can be like these Methuselah dogs and what did they do years ago? How, what was life like before processed food came along? You know, it talks about how we as human as hunter gatherers had to go find our food. Dogs were the same way, you know, they had to go find their food. They didn't eat at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. every single day. You know, we forget that because we live in such a modern society now. You know, it's like you get up, you feed the dog, you get ready for work, you go to work, you come home by six to about six o'clock that time. By the time you get home, the dog's hungry, you feed the dog, and you just end up on like the 6 a.m., 6 p.m. schedule. And dogs, I mean, they'll adapt to it, but they weren't geared for that, you know, evolutionarily. They were geared for hunting and gathering and going a couple days without food. They had to go find it and, you know, or find scraps left over from another, you know, animal interaction and feast on what was left. They didn't always eat, you know, breakfast isn't served on a platter in the forest, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or even back when there was village dogs, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago. So it goes into all that, which I liked having a little bit of the history of is it. like, okay, what did those, what did these long lived dogs do? What was their life kind of like? that part I like but I'm sure we'll get into more of it there's a there's a ton of good ton of good tidbits in this but I like how it started off with how um what the older what what the ancestors did and how often they ate how they had to move around to find it you know it involved a lot of activity you have these little dogs you know um people who have like the Yorkies or the Chihuahuas or you know they're tiny they're not going to go hunting around for food their their landscape might be your apartment and then you know their their food their breakfast and lunch and dinner gets served on a platter for them and they're not you know going on the hunt in the trek <laughs> you know trying to find their meal and it does go into fasting and how important that is a little bit or how it's okay i think we touched on fasting in some of the other chapters um but it's it's quite all right it's quite evolutionally evolutionarily that's a big word <laughs> evolutionarily yeah. okay for them to um, not eat for several hours it's it's okay and it'll work but um yeah i read me again i had a lot more thoughts about conversations i had with people over the last week of you know explaining to them why because they would ask me they're like why is this book so good i'm just like that's going to take me several hours to explain, but I'll try and condense it <laughs> the best I can. Like it, it goes in and busts a lot of these myths and everything, you know, and the things that you can do um, to make them better. You know, how there was another good part I remember reading about the, how it's such a big billion dollar industry, pet food, processed pet food is such a big billion dollar industry. And most people aren't aware there's only like, I think I said it was five companies that own like that dominate everything yeah. you know and it's it's crazy i want to say it was like 80 86 billion sticks out to me for some reason um but yeah a lot of people don't realize like who owns who i remember having conversations about that as well you know you might like you might not like this one particular brand but then you don't realize that mars owns it you don't realize that colgate palmolive owns it you don't realize that nestle owns it you just like, oh, i'm gonna boycott this brand because you know it did this but you go switch to another one and, you know, how many companies does Mars own? How many companies does Nestle own? You know, people don't realize that either. So it, it breaks down that too. I, I like how it um, divulges quite a, it almost feels like insider secrets a little bit that the pet food companies, they don't want you to know about. They don't want the average pet parent to know about, but it's just like, this is what happens. This is what goes on behind the scenes that we're just not really told when you walk into the pet store because the average pet store retailer doesn't have time and the hours to explain who owns who under what company's you know umbrella and how big the industry is and all that so here's, here's tons of good thing what did you find that stuck out to you um i think the one thing which is a real hurdle for most pet parents especially first timer is that your dog doesn't have to eat every day 
and your dog doesn't have to eat multiple meals every day. <laughs> and it's a real um, mind-bending shock to a lot of pet parents because they they tend to, you know, like, oh, okay, um, we you know, we eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know, uh, we have a fixed time. So our dog should should eat that way because we think it's normal, you know, um, again, with the science that's coming out of this book, they tell you that actually humans don't even have to have three meals a day. Hello, you know, um, again, a shocker. But um, it really is because for me, when I talk to potential adopters um, for dogs, they, they get very worried that they're going to kill the dog. Or they get upset if like, oh, the dog's not eating. Do I have to bring it to the vet? Like straight away, there's something wrong with my dog. And I'm like, actually, the dog might be just auto-fasting, choosing not to eat. That's actually a good thing. So long as, you know, you don't see like the vomiting or diarrhea or whatever. But if it's, if it's doing as per normal, it just doesn't want to eat, it's okay. You know, and that one is a big um, mind-bending trip for a lot. I mean, like every single pet parent I know the first time. You know, um, even for myself, when I was learning, I was just like, whoa, really? Like, can I do that? You know, am I going to kill my dog? My dog looks so sad, you know? Yeah, it's scary. <laughs> it's scary when you experience it, you know? Mm. It's, it's, it's a lot. You're just like, because, you know, for us, we know that we don't eat when we don't feel good. So you automatically mm. assume your pet doesn't feel good. Because for us, like we're we're wired to you know breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We we want those sweets, or we want that sandwich, or we want that you know big dinner at the end of the day, you know. And like you know, I just I got over a sinus infection just two weeks ago. I was like, I was not hungry. You know, you're not hungry. You don't want anything, or you don't want as much. And we know that when we get sick or have the flu or what have you, we're just like, uh, uh. So we just assume that our dogs and our animals, because it usually is one of the first signs that they don't feel good. They're just like, I don't want any food. So it's hard. It can be very hard to differentiate. You know you know, do they not feel good or is it okay? And that comes with this practice in life and, and learning. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for me, you know, um, that was like the first thing that jumped up because like that is the number one obstacle for a lot of pet parents when you're trying to like, you know, tell them like, actually, you know, once a day is actually quite good and you don't have to feed every day. And they're very horrified, you know, that uh, you're being very cruel you know, um, to, to the animal. The other thing, again, which they re-emphasize in this book is, you know, to eat better, eat less, and eat much less often, you know. Um, that, that, is, that is a mantra that they sort of, like, emphasize uh, throughout the book, uh, you know, the very basic thing, you know, that they, they talk about. And I love, I love how they, they use the story of Bluey and Maggie the two Methuselah dogs in the beginning of the chapter. So I think it's relatable for a lot of uh, new, for pet parents who are new to this idea of why, what's a healthy dog for OH, you know? Is it po possible, you know? Because they think, I mean, like, hey, I, most people I know when they see my dog, um, she doesn't look her age. She's 10 years old this year. You know, um, she's still, you know, kind of like a crazy little hyperactive little dog. Um, but for a lot of people, they think when you're 10, you are really, really old. And there's a certain look for a dog at 10. Mobility, um, the white gray, you know, the, the white hair, uh, you, know, the, you know, the low energy, you know, uh, maybe dementia kind of thing um, going on. Um, so... A lot of people, when they look at the medium-sized dogs, it's like, oh, 10 years old, like golden retrievers, you know, 10. For most people now, when they talk about a lab modern-day Labrador and golden retriever, 10 is like, you know, it's like the clock is ticking very fast, you know, and and like, yeah, so they, they think like, oh, if it hits 16, 17, that's like, wow. But now in this book, they say Methuselah is like, you know, 20, 22 mm -hmm. and above. That's yeah. a Methuselah, you know, and it's like, can my dog really live that long? You know, um, so what I like about the, the beginning of this book is that it reinforces and uses examples 
you know, with with um, these two dogs. Like, why is it they live so long? You know, what what was it? And you know, when you think about it, like low stress, lots of lots of running around. You know, eating like yeah, basically you know raw food. You know, on on the farm, they were working dogs. They were you know, it's not your typical say urban. Dog, domestic dog now, pet dog, um, yeah. you know. So it 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 gives you an idea of like what is possible, and you know, like where are you compared to that, and like how should we, how can we get there? You know, just like you were saying, like you read the book the first time, and you saw I'm like, hmm, you know, what what a, you know, where am I in terms of 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 achieving those goals and how how can I switch my lifestyle, adjust my lifestyle to incorporate that ideal lifestyle for my dog as well into my life. Because yeah. it's really asking the pet parent to think very hard. Are you willing to change to, to improve the quality of your dog's life? You know, because a lot of times, most pet parents I know, especially dog owners, they... You know, they're like, oh, uh, they they make their dogs wear shoes when they go out. They they think like, oh, can't let the dog get dirty paws, you know. Um, and especially with COVID, the the last couple of years, the the paranoia over germs is yes. such that I've seen pet parents actually use disinfectant wipes to literally like clean their dogs, you know, and, and wipe the mouth. And I'm like, whoa, don't do that, you know, <laughs> don't do that. Uh, if you want to rinse, rinse with just water, that's fine. But don't put those chemical stuff, you know, on. But that's what, that's what a lot of um, humans are translating in the COVID paranoia of home of, you know, the, the germs onto their pet animals. And unwittingly, you are increasing the toxic load. For, yeah. for for your dogs and actually for yourself too in the long term. But we don't, we're not conscious of all this. So that's what I like about um, the book. And, you know, they talk about the power of food. That's what, that's what I actually, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, uh, I think uh, for you, me, it's like, hey, food is medicine if you know how to use it right. You know, food can kill you but food can heal, heal you at the same time. It can make you it's sick. True. It can make you better. So you, if, you, if you're more conscious and aware of that, you can actually, you know, um, start making more conscious, wise choices for your animal, you know? Yeah. Uh, one sentence that um, is under the power of food, it says, understanding the power of food is essential to gaining better health and extending healthy life for you and your dog. It's the cornerstone of lifestyle medicine. And right below that, it says food is information. See, we're not really taught that food is information. And yeah. I was having conversations with pet owners this past weekend and, you know, talking about like, we're not, we're not taught this unless you really go and seek out that information about nutrition, you know, you're just going to eat what you like and grab what you like and, and grab the easiest thing that might be um, available and cost effective for yourself, you know, for your pet. And we're never totally like told to our face when you get a dog that, you know, the power that nutrition and the power that food has that it can heal and that it can harm. And now we're all starting to learn that ultra processed food isn't quite living up to its, you know, its standard that we were kind of under the impression it had. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the terms that I think uh, we he we've been hearing like a lot more now uh, in the fresh feeding communities, functional food. You know, um, that you know, like some pet parents like, hey, you know, uh, if you say my dog ancestrally was a scavenger, right? But how how come we're we're feeding the uh, you know like mushroom or you know like. Um, avocado oil, coconut oil, you know, to, to our animals. And um, usually I'll have to explain to them, like, we're using these wholesome, whole foods as functional foods to improve their life, their, their health, you know, because 
a lot of pet brands again what this book does if you read it more it's like it 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 um looks behind the scenes in a way on how commercial pet food is created you know and when you when you understand how modern day uh farming methods are done you know especially like you know like cattle beef right even for the human for the human food uh, industry you know and and the pet food industry you you will realize uh certain terms come up like we mentioned in the previous like cattle you know um and factory farmed uh, animals yeah factory farm animals and and the quality of how the animals are reared and then killed and yeah. processed process yeah. very important you know that's a whole before, rabbit hole for people who've never heard about it you know there's a yeah. complete difference between like regenerative farmed animals and you know factory farm animals completely different and the nutrient profiles are different which you know we're not taught unless you go seeking that information out as well or, or listening to someone who's an yeah. expert in that area you know it's it's crazy the the nutrient profile in a you know conventionally raised chicken is going to be completely different than a pasture raised chicken same for cows yeah. You know, yeah. and then the fresh food, um, the fresh feeders are learning that and applying that to their animals as well and to their meals and what have you. But yeah, it's, I think that's one of the other things that can seem kind of overwhelming when you start learning, you know, the backside of the industry, how yeah. processed food is made and then how those ingredients yeah. are sourced. I mean, like for me, the word nutrigenomics, like the first time I heard that, like, what the hell is that? You know, <laughs> it's like I scratch my head, like, oh my god! It's like I really felt, um, I I was going through this like rabbit hole, but this huge educational thing, you know, like you know what what is, how is our food procured, mm-hmm. you know, and it it, this is the part where I think pet parents, if you make the effort to. To spend some time and this book does it very well actually i mean it's a lot but if you just even read like 10 minutes a day just just to get it into little bite-sized you know chunks for you to digest there's so much information in in in, in this chapter alone that it's is quite um heavy you know but um it really reinforces the fact like you know the pet food industry you know the power they have, the influence they have uh, over the health of our animals because food really is the number one important factor for health. Like, then after that, there's other other factors, but if you, if you, you know, for a modern day pet, you know, if you just do focus really like as much as you can on the food, your chances of a, a healthy dog is much higher compared to feeding, say, a kibble diet, yeah, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Sure. So it's, it's, it's interesting. And with, you know, like what Rodney and uh, Dr. Becker have been doing all these years, you know, like really like uh, fighting for, you know, like empowering and educating the public. I mean, like what, Planet Pause in 2012. I mean, like that's how long ago it was. Not, yeah. I mean, like we, you know, you, you think about it, you know, you know, when Planet paused the Facebook page, you know, they, 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 they posted in 2012 an image and a list of all the ingredients found in a typical bag of commercial dog food, you know, that, that alone gave like half a million shares overnight on Facebook, you know, so that, that sort of tells you just like, wow, people had no fucking clue, man. <laughs> You know, they, 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 they really they really didn't have a fucking clue about it. Yeah. In um, the one about rawhide, it says, and if, if for any pet parent watching this, listening to this, if you have not seen the video about rawhide, uh, you might be um, one of the 45 million that has already. Yep, yep. The one about rawhide, there's a post and there's a video about how rawhide is made. And I believe it was a video has garnered 45 million uh, yep. views. It is... It's probably more than that by now. (laughs) I know. I love the way the video was done. As gross as it kind of is, it's a very nice way of explaining, like, the really grossness of how rawhide is made that most people just do not know. And I love the way it was put together because it was was cute enough to keep you entertained. And you're like, oh, my God, this is so gross. But I still got to keep watching it. You know? Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. So, 
um, Planet Pause, Rodney, Rodney, I mean, like, I think he was, like, really, like, in terms of uh, translating all this, like, science-heavy, data-heavy uh, information, he has a gift, and bless, yes. his, bless him, he's so talented. He has this rare gift to actually translate everything that he reads in these medical journals, because um, for those of you who don't know, he's actually a science nerd. So he, he absorbs all these things, and then he can translate it into something um, really into layman's language, but also visually. Because yeah. like on Facebook, he started to use like pictures and video, you know, and if you have not seen any of his educational videos, I mean, that's how I started learning. Before this book was done, you yeah. know, that's how I started to learn. It's through his viral videos you know, um, and Dr. Becker's articles as well. But really, his visual, um, these videos that he has done over the years, and there's a huge repository of it. So just go and check it out. But you learn so much. Because I remember this Rohai thing. I shared it with my dog friends in Singapore, and they had no clue. They didn't know. Even to today, when I, when I still share it today, you think it's so old, but I still share it, right? And they go like, really? Oh, my God. You know? Yuck. And it's like, oh, shit. I just bought some for my dog. You know? Throw out. Um, milk bowl is actually the other one. Throw out, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know? So um, for, for, for all you new pet parents, like, really go to Planet Paws, his Facebook page. He's got a lot of videos. So if you want to share these things or understand it at a glance, that's very good because he has yeah. a talent. He has a talent there. Yeah. I like how they say, too, that there because, you know, so many video views and how Planet Pause has 3.5 million followers now, or by 2020 it was. I, I think he's close to 4 million now for the Planet Pause Facebook page. It was it. They're right when they say you know pet owners were desperate for guidance. You had those ones mm. that kind of came along, and I, I certainly was one. I, you know, I saw a post or come through my newsfeed or saw a video that well, when they came out. You know, the early ones you're just like, wait a minute, this is a cute, catchy video, but it's it's telling me something. And I'm like, yeah. well, I care about my dog and I care about my pet. You know, yeah. this is this is information. So, like I said, you know, if it's if it's catchy enough to keep you watching it, then you know, the video has done its job. And if you're open to the, you know, perspective of what it's telling you, but yeah. there's definitely there, there's because it kind of totally ballooned kind of so quickly, so fast, it was just like, oh, everybody kind of either they found each other or they're just like, they found their topic and they're just like, Oh my God, you know, like I knew this all along, but now he's like totally putting it out there that, you know, there's been raw feeders that have been around for like 20 years. We're just like, what do you mean you've been doing this for 20 years? And they have, and they're just like, and now, you know, information is coming, you know, more to light that, yes, it is, you know, there are bad things that happen in the pet food industry and there's ways you can feed your dog fresh species appropriate food and totally work it out and be great at it. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah. There's, there's been a definite hunger for, you know, yeah. more information and, and more education. And honestly, it's because of, I, I would I would credit because of the way Rodney and, and, and Dr. Becker have been pushing so hard all these years, you know, to promote these ideas that pet parents are hungry, as you said, and they're asking for change because yes. the best way to change the industry is to vote with your dollar, right? So the pet food industry who was so anti-raw, well, it still is, but now you can actually see a slight change in the last couple of years where, you know, um, they're starting to put out uh, hybrid diets, they will call it, or, you know, uh, they're trying to improve the quality of the, of the food or they're trying to market a, a, a new towards these uh, pet yeah. parents who are demanding a fresher diet. You know, like like uh, you know, uh, more tra more transparency. You know, which is still an uphill battle, but it's moving there. You know, so I I would say the pet food industry is is realizing that ah, oh, if we don't join it, um, it's it's uh they're gonna, they're gonna miss the boat. They're gonna miss the bus, and it's gonna carry on yeah. without them. So of course, 
you know, like these big industries, they want to be part of it and they see the demand because it's definitely customer demand driven, you know. Yep. If we are demanding things be more transparent or things be made better, then at some point the um, manufacturers have to do something to keep up with the demand of their clients and still make the billions of dollars that they're making. Yeah. So, and it talks in one part how they kind of, the book is educating the pet owner about minimally processed, partially processed, and ultra processed. And how the pet food industry has kind of hijacked some of the terms like naturally made or, you know, raw coated or what have you. They're kind of hijacking these terms that is legal for them to do, you know, but it's confusing and deceiving the customers even more because just because you see natural on the front of the bag or anywhere on the bag, really, is it really natural if it was made with corn gluten meal, which is a technically a natural substance. You can't Sorry, go to the store and buy corn gluten meal. You can't go to the store and buy high fructose corn syrup. You know, if that's in your packaging, then how, you know, how natural is it? It's been denatured. It's been processed so much. You know, you can't buy chicken meal or meat meal at the store. You know, you've got an ultra processed diet if your food you're buying has been made with meals and corn syrups and ingredients that you can't get at the store yourself because some of them are only commercially available. So... I like that it goes down into breaking down, you know, what to look for um, as far as types of food, like I said, minimally processed to ultra processed, but yeah, it's still deceiving out there to the customer of how these industries and, and manufacturers and big companies are still trying to use their marketing tactics to kind yeah. of persuade you and sway you into different directions and confuse you. Yeah. Like, at that point, when you get so confused, you just give up. You're just like, I need food. I'm going to take it. I'm going to get off. <laughs> yeah, I think what this book I love is that it, uh, well, I don't know if it gently introduces you or it, you know, draws back the curtain for a lot of pet parents who never knew anything about uh, big pet food companies and their tactics, their, their methods of, you know, how to get around um, selling poor quality animal feed grade food and label it as, you know, pet food, which should yeah. be, you know, feed, animal feed versus animal food. If we, if we use our normal intellectual, how we look at the word without playing with the definitions as what the pet food industry does with echo, you know, you'll realize that um, what majority of the things in, your, in, your, in, in the pet food aisle it's pet feed, you know, and and what I love is that this book um, really teaches you or at least tells you what you should look out for when you next go to, to, to you know, when you next go and buy food for your animal, you know, um, because, because of the demand of pet parents who wanted fresher food, and the big pet food industry wasn't doing it just yet. So you had a lot of these small family-owned entrepreneurs, right, who were basically pet parents themselves who wanted yeah. better quality food. So they started, you know, um, making making their own food, right? Fresh, raw, uh, freeze-dried, slow-cooked, whatever. But basically as minimally, minimally processed compared to commercial pet food, right? And that started a whole movement where the pet food industry started to sit up and go like, hey, how come these people are spending money with these like small mom and pop, raw, you know, fresh food stores, right? And there's, there, was, there is a, a practice which is not talked about where sometimes they buy over these companies, not, not to sell and promote the brand, but to bury it. It's exactly what Big Pharma does you know, or anything to do that will help humanity. And if it goes across, if it, if it doesn't promote um, the uh, hungry, money-grubbing, uh, profit-driven companies, they buy it and then they hide it. You know, they just keep the patents and then you never see light of day of it. You know, yeah. so this is, this is one of those dirty tactics that uh, big pet food companies used to do a lot, I think still do, you know, but 
with the momentum that you know um, more conscious pet parents are asking for fresher food and more smaller businesses are starting up you know in different countries um, even in Singapore now we have a lot more uh, raw food companies now very small but you know um, it was much better compared to say 10 years ago when there was only one company that brought in Dr. Billinghurst bath, you know, from Australia and, and that was that wasn't cheap, you know. But yeah, so it's like we even in Singapore, which is not as um I would say uh advanced or, or more conscious compared to in the US in terms of, you know, mass population, right? Um there is a growing awareness that hey, there's this thing about fresh feeding, you know. And then table scraps, that's the other thing. We can feed table scraps? I said, yes, you can feed. So long as it's not, you know, cooked fats or cooked bones, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, your dog can eat the cut, the trimmings of, of your food, you know. But yeah, so I, I really like this, chap this, this chapter, you know, like you said, it, it talks about how, how do you break down what is ultra-processed, processed, flash process, you know, that kind of thing. And the other thing is, it really mirrors what human doctors are telling us already. Mm -hmm. You know, when you see the doctor, especially a functional doctor, say like, eat less processed food, eat more fresh food. Yes. So actually, you know, unfortunately vets are still behind but there's a growing awareness now, even in the, the, the vet, um, the vets in, around the world where, you know, hey, there's this thing about nutrition and fresh feeding and, you know, um, diet, you know, uh, a lot of them were never trained in vet school. But because there's this demand, now there's more awareness, especially when there are more pet parents who go to the, to the vet and say like, okay, how can I improve my dog's diet? Is there a is there a better way? And then you will see that actually there are integrative vets, functional you know integrative vets, uh, who have been doing it for years, like Dr. Becker, you know, um, Lori Kozier, um, Jody yeah. Runstern, I believe, uh, Judy Morgan, yeah. several yeah. of them out there. Yeah. So you know, um, I think this is this is an amazing, exciting time for the fresh feeding community because there's this growing momentum and awareness of all this like food is power food is medicine it really is. like that it is. yeah and even so to kind of touch on that because the, the book um in this chapter it did it talked about how even if you do feed a um fresh raw diet or you're doing diy or you're, or you're trying it out for the first time and not quite sure you think you might be on the right track but you might not totally be on the right track and I have, I've heard stories and seen stories of how there are bad things that happen if you feed an unbalanced raw diet or you're not going by a recipe. And then that's what happens when vets kind of can get frustrated and understandably so because now you, the client, have gone in and you're just like, well, I'm feeding, you know, chicken, rice and potatoes because, well, it's real food, but it's not a balanced real meal. And, you know, with the nutrition that vets, veterinarians get in vet school, they, they don't spend, you know, decades learning about nutrition. They get taught how to take care of animals when they are sick. And there's been many, many vets that have also said, you know, Gary Becker says it all the time, you're like, they get a handful of hours of nutrition and that's it. They're more focused on, you know, recovering the problems that are being proactive, learning how to be proactive in all the cases. So it can be very frustrating for vets and I, and I feel for them to be in that type of job and you see a myriad of clients through the day and you get some, you might end up with a dog that's deficient because the pet owner might not be feeding them the right way. So yes, it can be done wrong, but that's the, the kind of like shining star in all of this is there's so many opportunities to learn how to do it correctly. And that's what the book is teaching you is how to do it correctly, how to you know, learn, look through all these marketing tactics with, you know, processed food, how it can be damaging to your dog as well, but what you can do to improve on it. And, you know, even if you don't discuss what you're feeding with, uh, what type of food you're feeding with your vet, 
there are ways to have, you know, good conversations with them. There's, there are stories where, you know, vets totally are not on board and maybe that's not the vet for you anymore. You know, you might have to search around your area and, and find another one that you do with because your vet needs to be your teammate. You know, you don't want to go into the vet's office and, and have, you know, knock down, drag out arguments. That's not fun for anybody, you know, and then we've talked about stress and bringing that home. And now the dog is stressed out because you were, you had an argument that day, but um, yeah, there's, there's, there's ways to go around it to be, you know, kind and nice to your vets to have calm conversations. If you don't agree, then, you know, you do, you know, you search out another one that is on your team and can help you with your dog to get properly nutrition. And we have all these resources. The book goes into uh, further down in the book, but there are resources that people can use to, you know, go by rest, use recipes, free recipes, you know, recipes you can purchase. There's all kinds of places to learn how to do it right. And that's why, again, it's so great to have such a physical copy of the book to, to learn all these tips and tricks. But yeah, the, the goal is to not to get into arguments with your veterinarian about yeah. potential yeah. and to do it the right way. Yeah. I mean, like my, the, okay. Cause I don't drive, I don't own a car, uh, but I'm very lucky that um, I've got technically two vet clinics within walking distance in my neighborhood. Um, the first one I went, you know, I, I liked the vet, but um, it was a convention, a very conventional vet. Um, the second one that I went to, especially when I started my rescue work, um, they offered TCM, which was a plus, you know, yeah. uh, but they weren't, I mean, like, they are still very conventionally trained, the mindset, and they're slowly changing. But I remember when I first started, and I told them, like, oh, I'm feeding my dog raw. I never hid the fact that I was feeding my dog raw. And they were like, oh, okay, you know, and usually, like, the, the most common is like, oh, isn't it expensive? Like the vet would actually ask me, isn't it expensive? But she cooks for her dog, her own dog, you know, but she cooks for her dog, like, you know, rice, the, uh, you know, meat, you know, the typical. But I said, actually, not really. If you know how to budget and source for stuff, um, you don't have to. Um, but what I love about this book so much, and I actually highly recommend this to all pet parents out there listening, is that buy two copies at least, one for yourself and one for your vet. Because that's what I did. I gave this book, The Forever Dog, and Dr. Connor Brady's uh, Feeding Dogs Raw um, to, to, my, to my vet clinic. You know, I know that they're not like, say, like super pro raw and ditch the, the commercial pet food. But in the last, just the last couple of years, I realized because of COVID, and when I, when I went like recently, um, it's like they had a freezer selling raw food for dogs in wow. the main branch, and I was shocked. And I was like, "Holy oh, fuck, that's so fucking amazing, man!" <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like, wow, you know, like, you know, I was so happy, you know, and 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 to me, it's a sign because I honestly think the more pet parents come forward to actually at least have an honest conversation with your, your vet, you know, like, hey, I'm feeding my, my dog a fresh food diet. It doesn't have to be raw, but a fresh food diet, you know, when they realize that there are actually more pet parents doing that, there's more demand for it, then they'll be more inclined to, hey, this might be a business opportunity to look into to help not just serve our our pet parents that we're serving at the clinic, but also to improve business, right? The profit margin in that sense, because you're selling what pet parents want. Yeah. Right? So, uh, yeah, I was super happy when I saw that chest of raw food, you know? That's awesome. Um, yeah, and it, it's really come a long way because I've been with this vet clinic for uh, more than 10 years. So the change is happening, you know, the change is happening slowly, but surely. So, you know, I, I, like I said, get two copies of this book and give it to your vet, even, even if they're like, like hardcore opposed to it, but just give it to them and say, here, this is science backed, you know, it's, it's written, it's got all these papers. And what I love about this chapter is that because, you know, they actually noted that uh, one of the most interesting and recurring experiences they had when while interviewing some of the world's top longevity experts, 
you know, has been their notable responses when they connected the dots on the subject. So, you know, when 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 they interview these longevity experts and then they say like, okay, so putting this in context to your pet dog, for instance, you know, um, what do you think? You know, what, what you know? How do you feel about feeding fresh food as opposed to commercial pet food? And you know, suddenly they sort of hit light bulb moment for them as some of them, you know, said, "Oh my God, this applies to my pet as well." Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just for humans, right? So this this was something for me was like a win, a a real win because it's like. In, it's such common sense to some of us, but not to everyone. It's when you, you know, slowly like, you know, like, okay, we talk about eating fresh food for humans. Can't we apply it to to, to our pet dogs and cats as well? You know, um, they need to eat a species appropriate diet to have a long life, a healthy life, you know, lifespan yeah, because lifespan. Yeah, that brings up a thought to me, kind of thinking about it. And I've I've always wanted to ask, next time I go to my local zoo, I want to ask, like, the people that work there. Because if you think about it, people who do work at any type of zoo, you know, or aquarium, you know, they know what turtles eat. They know what their sharks need to eat. They know what their giraffes need to eat. They know what their lions and tigers need to eat or their zebras or what have you. I know at my local zoo, like, they have um, a building towards the back where you can kind of see like the hospital section and then you can kind of see the kitchen section and you can see where all the food is, you know, you could actually watch them, you know, chopping up food for the animals for the day. They're chopping up real food. They've got carrots and broccoli and kale, your greens, you know, your meats for the big cats and all stuff. And what I want to know is for the zookeepers who take care of those big animals who know what those big animals need to eat to survive, just as if they were in the wild, does that zookeeper person have a dog or cat at home? And what are they feeding the dog and cat? Mm. That would be interesting topic to add because you think if you're working in the, you know, the animal field that the person who takes care of the giraffes or the zebras might also, you know, feed their dog appropriately. That's, that's one thing I want to, that I want to find out that always comes to, to my mind. It's just like, you know, yeah. then like you said with the experts, it's like, it doesn't, sometimes the light bulb doesn't kind of go off in that aspect and they're just like yeah. whoa when karen and rodney actually talk to them they're just like oh hey wait a minute okay yeah <laughs> yeah oh shit oh my god you know suddenly go like i'm killing my animal you know i'm eating better than you know but um you know i actually did um interview with big cat rescue founder carol baskin in uh florida u.s and oh, wow. and she actually told me that um, at one point, they did try to feed uh, commercial pet food or, you know, like kibble kind of diet because it was being marketed to them. You know, it's like mm. try and feed the cats that as, a, yeah. as an alternative. But they realized that it was um, the wrong thing very quickly. So that's why they only feed basically a prey raw food um, diet for, for, for those cats. And even though those cats um captive um uh, what's the word? Uh rescues, you know, from the, the, the what do you call it, the the illegal cat trafficking. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a sanctuary type where they put them where they or where they Yeah. Just, yeah, them. because they cannot be rehabilitated to the wild because basically right. they've been so uh, basically these animals are so fucked up, treated you know, to the point that they will not be able to survive in the wild. So those um, cats at Big Cat Rescue are basically the ones that can't be released. So it's a sanctuary for these, you know, basically uh, poor animals who just can't be released out. But they design the sanctuary in such a way that um, it provides a lot of environmental enrichment for these giant, beautiful cats. I mean, we're talking about not just my kitty cat at home, you know, but these huge, you know, beautiful exotic cats. And they they um, really like design the place where they make runs and tunnels around the, 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 the property so that the cats can move from one area to another. So they rotate. So they sort of migrate um, around and even like, uh, you know, like, um, um, giving like um, you know fun things for for the animals 
to to play with like say pumpkins stuffed with food or you know or even like cardboard yeah. boxes like typical ki kitty cat thing give a cat a box it doesn't matter whether it's a tiger a lion okay a puma or your domestic little tabby cat they all go into the damn box <laughs> they love the cardboard box you don't have to spend a lot of money on expensive um uh cat bits that's one thing i've learned through experience all you have to do is just give them a a, a box and they'll try to squeeze their their bodies inside the smaller the box the harder they squeeze we have in japan there is this cat called maru m-a-r-u and he's like a, a celebrity cat where the japanese daddy will will give him boxes of different sizes even when it's tiny tiny he's a big fat cat because well his diet is his diet is something of a little concern to me but anyway you know he tries he just keeps squeezing himself into a box so if you ever want to have some cat therapy when you're tired of work go to youtube and uh, google for maru the cat um i think maru now has a, a new uh, sidekick um a second cat there so i can't remember my, my friend is really into maru so he, he he tells me about it but yeah so sidetrack there everybody but yes you know uh the, the main point is what yeah even big cat rescue realized that um they can't feed processed food it screws up the microbiome the health of the animal big time yeah that was it was definitely one thing that just came to mind i remember um i thought about it years ago and it kind of like goes in and out which is like yeah you know if especially like you go on field trips to the zoo as a kid usually you know most of us that live you know in the major cities you know i've always i grew up going to the zoo as a kid with schools and my grandma and all that stuff and you're taught like as a kid you know from zoo years you know this is what i you know like i said this is what the giraffe eats this is what the zebra eats this is what the mongoose eats this is what the uh oh the red pandas you know every animal you can pretty much think of they tell you like what they eat but then we go home and we feed our dogs and cats you know these processed brown balls and we don't even think twice about it until like like i said you know i hate to repeat myself you know but the lipo but there's so many light bulb moments that just happen you're like oh my god how did i not put these two things together? i know i know that's what i love you know yeah. again, how this book just like breaks it all down for you and it's like gonna be mind blown absolutely mind blown when it just clicks yeah and again you know what i love about this book is they keep you know trying to reassure the reader i know it's a lot of information to process please don't be overwhelmed but you can start with little little tiny steps and one of the things that uh, they mention this chapter which they go into much more detail later on is uh clt so core longevity toppers of you know how you can just add a little bit of fresh to even your current commercial you know dry food diet or whatever you're feeding processed diet to freshen up the bowl you know to slowly start you know making incremental uh changes and again the idea is that even when you just change 20 percent take out 20 percent process and add 20 percent fresh you know you really reduce the 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 incidence of cancer for your animal i mean like can you imagine just 20 percent just adding some you know chopped veggies or you know like the 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 the, the spoiled tops of the carrots or the celery throwing it in there you know um it it, it does miracles that's why I, I love my dog i call him my garbage compactor because you know for most of you who don't know i've got like 12 cats and one dog and you know there's the human as well which doesn't count really um but whatever leftovers you know so long as it's um you know safe to give my dog she finishes it i mean like, i hate to say it sometimes when my dog but when my cats like eat too fast and they throw up very quickly you know my dog is zoom first one there to whip it up and lick it up you know and i know pet parents uh, especially in asia who are very um clean freaks right they're like ah you know don't eat that you're gonna die you're gonna die you know um but like hey it's basically a lot of digestive acid in there but the dog's stomach has a high um uh what do you call it low ph is that what it is or high high acidity level yeah so i can't remember the, my ph scale higher number is more alkaline is it 
lower is acidic. Okay, I'm, I I fail in that, so don't don't take my word for it. But basically, cats and dogs have a higher acidity level in their gut, you know, and that's why I mean, it, in very simple ways that they can eat a lot of crap, you know, um, you know, uh, day old food that we can't because mm -hmm. they they can actually process all that. You know, like salmonella would not kill them because they actually have naturally occurring salmonella in their stomach as well. No big deal. Uh, one thing I remember Dr. Ian Billinghurst, when I interviewed him, he actually also, um, when he gives um, his talks as well, and um, he gives, he shows like slides, right? One of the slides he shows people is um, the dog licking its butt, the dog drinking out of the toilet bowl, you know, and then running around. And it's like, Yep, and you know what comes out of the dog's butt, right? You know, mm -hmm. it's basically shit. And they do eat other, you know, shit. Like sometimes other other dogs poop, or um, like for my dog, sometimes he will look for my cat's poop in the litter box. Sometimes, you know, it's a bit icky for us human beings, you know. But usually, it tells me that okay, I need to pay a bit more attention to her stomach because she's craving something that yeah. I have. I have missed out in her in her usual food, so like okay, I might have to add a bit more, maybe like more fermented um, vegetables or you know more berries or you know uh, up her digestive enzymes or her probiotics, you know. So that's usually a sign for me because when I am more conscious and diligent in my feeding for her, because I don't feed a balanced diet every day, but you know I do a what's the word? I balance it over time. So, you know, like one night she will have a chicken carcass, a whole chicken carcass and that's it, you know. Um, some nights she, she might just have like a pork, a, a pig trotter, you know, that kind of thing. Um, other nights she might have a, a whole mackerel fish as her meal, you know. Then some nights is I, I will mix it with uh, the commercial raw food that I buy. Because obviously it's easy, but then I might add in my own veg blends, you know, berries or, or whatever in and whatever supplements to, to give her. So it's like, yeah, dogs much better than cats in a way because they are biologically evolved to go into starvation mode. Because as the book said, um, they were not very good hunters all the time. <laughs> Unlike cats who are pretty good hunters, dogs don't always get their food so they do go hungry for a couple of days before they get their next kill so and they mention in this book wasn't it dr seafried from boston college and he talked about this one very old um experiment that scientists yeah. did and uh what was the dog's name do you remember i don't know rocky name. i'm was it Rocky Rocco or something? Dirty. But, I know exactly what you're talking about. It was a couple pages back, I think. Yeah, and on. and basically it was a. It's not done now, but it was a very in uh, a very uh, now it's considered unethical. But they starved this farm dog. Okay, it was a working farm dog, and they starved it for a hundred days. Yeah. Right. And when they decided, like, oh my god, a hundred days is okay too much. I think we're gonna stop, and the dog went back and it basically he still had the energy energy to jump over the fence or something right and his name was oscar. oscar oscar that's right oh oh yeah oh yes oscar you know so um he so he he shares the story dr c3 and and um you know it reinforces the thing again that our dogs healthy dogs not sick dogs but healthy dogs can survive without food for quite a while, you know? They might not look visually appealing to what we are comfortable looking at, what we think what we think is uh, normal or acceptable, you know, body weight and condition. Um, but yes, they can actually, as the experiment showed, survive even 100 days and beyond uh, without food. So that, that was something that also hit me. Yeah, and that um, actually, in a weird way, I actually saw a friend of mine post about a dog that her son and uh, had picked up 
I don't know what kind of dog it was. I just knew it was a short-haired, kind of medium-sized dog. The dog was they found, I guess, was on the side of the road. They decided to do the right thing and pick the dog up. No, no sign of, you know, anywhere the dog belonged to. Picture the dog, he was emaciated. And you see stories like that, you know, every so often where people find, you know, dog has probably been lost, you know, wandering around, fending it for itself. You have no idea how long the dog's gone without food, but he's obviously emaciated. Does he need medical attention? Yes. Does he need food? Yes. But that dog has lasted a while, depending on how, you know, how much weight he had before he ended up, you know, wandering off from where he lived, you know, and I've seen it with horses too. There's a friend of mine down in South Carolina that had rescued a um, horse couple, I think it was last year, maybe. And, you know, completely emaciated. And how long did that horse live? How long was it in that condition before someone came in and rescued it? So can they still survive for a long time without food? They can't. Obviously, nobody wants emaciation for their pets, but it does show you they can live for quite a while. Are they in pain? Do they need medical attention? Yes, they do. <laughs> they need They need help desperately bad. But they will live a long time without food. And there's a healthy, you know, limit to go without food where you induce apoptosis and autophagy, and it's very beneficial. But then if you go past that point to emaciation and you see rib bones, then yes, that is, you know, the body starting to degrade rapidly. So there's obviously a, a you know, a line in the sand there. But yes, they can go without food for quite some time. You know, it, it sounds horrible that the dog went for 100 days without food. You're like, holy crap, you know. It's even they say, you know, it's a it's a crappy study. It's, it's hard to hear, but the animal can do it. You know, we can, we ourselves can go for a while without food. It's good for your body to stop intaking food and let it clean house. And when I learned, you know, about, you know, that feeding window or not eating as much as we think we should, you know, there was one of my past jobs is or any job you have really, but I relate it to a past job I had working warehouse where it's just like, you work for so many hours and then you have to stop. You have to clean up that mess you've made throughout the day. Your body is the same way. You know, our dog bodies are the same way. If they're constantly eating all day long, when, when do you turn off the intake machine <laughs> for the, you know, the little cleaner helpers of your body to go through and just like, okay, we got to clean up all this stuff that's happened all day long and kind of, and reset and give everything some time to like calm down. And, you know, we go to sleep at night, you know, your dog goes to sleep at night. They, they need that time to, you know, rest, oh, what does Karen Becker say all the time? Rest, repair, and restore. You know, we, we forget about that because, you know, standard American diet and standard American living, and, you know, I'm sure it's true for um, not every country, but several countries, you know, it's just like we see the food and we, we see the fast food and we see all the yummy, delicious stuff. We want to eat it, but, you know, back on that topic of not eating all the time and trying to let the body do what it's designed to do, it's okay to go without food for a little while. So it takes an adjustment period to kind of experience it, but in the long run, it's okay. Yeah. So, you know, basically now the question is like, okay, yet, you know, like, all right. So this book is talking about, okay, um, you know, like food nutrition. So, you know, what is the so-called best practices for feeding your dog? And they talk about the two T's, type and timing. So what type of nutrients are ideal and when should meals be timed throughout the day, right? So this, this is something that I think for a lot of pet parents is like, again, something new because it's like, oh, okay, first you tell me like, oh, uh, my dog can, can go without food for a few days. Now you're telling me like there's, a, there's an ideal timing, like, mm. you know, huh? <laughs> you know, um, yes. And what type of food should I feed to, you know, optimize their diet, um, basically, you know. So um, what what I like about this food, again, it really educates you about, you know, the percentages of like protein and fat, you know, versus carbohydrates. Um, you know, uh, again, it talks about uh, modern day agriculture, big food um, business and actually big pet food uh, industry as well. And, and basically, you know, again, it, it sort of um, talks about the ancestral dog's DNA, you know, um, they're not really, they don't have that uh, saliva, what do you call it, saliva uh, enzymes. Amylase? Yeah, uh, amylase. amylase? Yeah. yeah, big word for easy, um, <laughs> to, to break down carbohydrates, you know, naturally. So it's like, a lot of a lot of pet parents are like oh but you know 
I feed my dog rice and you know whatever it's fine and pet food is basically corn right maize um wheat uh you know but the thing is they they can eat it over time but it doesn't mean that it's healthy for them long term because their body isn't meant to eat a lot of that you know after a while you you sort of screw up their pancreas and then you get all sorts of problems that's where the the thing with the kibble diet you know uh, pancreatitis comes in uh, diabetes obesity uh, for your dog um, inflammation you know uh, that that sort of this book for me sort of um, slowly teaches you you know like um, really the kibble diet uh, because it's rich in carbohydrates uh, causes a lot of it triggers a lot of insults um, health insults to to your pet you know so yeah that, that's what I like about it yeah and to reiterate, and I'm, I'm sure I've said this before, but I'll say it again. And it says it in this book, Clear as Day. And for anybody listening or reading, it is on page 115. It says, a dog's carbohydrate requirement is zero. They have zero requirement, which means they do not need it to live. And we've almost like forced our dogs to adapt to that. Can they live with carbohydrates? Yeah, they, they learned how to process them and, and survive, you know. And when you do the carb equation math, which is a whole um, short little math equation, I think we did that. Um, did we do that last week? We did something with a with a carb. Age. Or, it was no, the ages. Okay, I, was like, I knew we had the calculator out, but it was the age. Um, now we should do we should do that for the carbs. <laughs> so yeah, you know, with the with the carb equation, it's pretty easy: protein, fat, fiber, moisture, and ash. The book goes into. Um, how to get that you subtract it from 100 and you'll start to find out that a lot of ultra processed food in your in your cable pellets have anywhere from you know 40 to 60 percent carbs and sugars and then when you read the ingredient panels you're like oh hey that's sugar and that's sugar and that's sugar and that's sugar so you do the math first to kind of figure out what is in that um bag you're feeding again it's you take 100 and you add up the protein content, the fat content, the fiber content, the moisture, and the ash. If ash is not listed, it's usually around 6 or 7%. But you do the math, you add those all up, you subtract it from 100, and there you go. And that is not clearly listed on the packaging of the food, because guess what? The manufacturers do not want you to know. Yeah. And, again, there is a really good video that Rodney did on this one. Um, how to calculate. Go and, go and look for it. Um, it first time I, I found out about this little equation, and then I started taking all my, all my bags, and I was like, holy shit, you know? <laughs> That's so much. That's wrong. That's so wrong, you know? And the thing is, right, in the human food, nutrition well um they they you know basically it's the same thing you know when you eat too much carbs and sugar you're going to have all sorts of health issues right and, and sadly sadly because of the way again agriculture and the, the food manufacturing is done the politics is done is that they they because of profit they like to use refined uh grains or flour whatever you want to call it you know they 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 the quality of the ingredients that they churn out to sell even for food byproducts is very poor very very poor you know so it's highly refined and lots of sugar and it causes humans health issues when you do this calculation and you look at your dog's diet what you're feeding it you realize it's exactly the same thing you know, so again, that was a light bulb moment for us. Yeah, I remember the first time I learned about that. I did the same thing. I was going, you know, through different products of food. I'm like, okay, what, what did I used to feed and how much was in there? Or, or friends would ask me questions to be like, hey, you know, what's a good food? You seem to know about this. I'm just like, what are you feeding? Or what are you looking at? And I would do the carb math. I'm just like, yeah, no, no, too much sugar. <laughs> Pick something else. <laughs> Yeah. But of course, I explained it to them. I was like, well, you know, you add this and that, and, you know, you get 
you know, you're looking about 50% sugar or 47% or maybe 63%, whatever they were asking me to kind of look up for them or help them out with. But I'm just like, yeah, yeah you might want to not go down that route and try to find something else that's a little less sugary and carby. Yeah. Wow. I'm so thankful and grateful that you took the time to listen to this podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could subscribe, download, rate, review, and share this with others whom you care about that may enjoy it as well. Thank you, and remember to be kind to yourself and others. Have a awesome day, everyone.